Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world, and he serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Today we're going to be talking about understanding why God speaks. Last week we talked about understanding how God speaks, the nine different ways that God can communicate with us or does communicate with us. And then I want to talk about the why behind God speaking to us. And I'll get into that in just a moment. You'll understand why. So let's go ahead and pray as we open the word of God together today. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we open your word today, uh, we just confess that it is powerful to change our lives And so we just ask, God, today that you would instruct us and encourage us and equip us, strengthen us, Lord, correct us if you need to. Help us, Lord, by your word to be the people that you desire for us to be, that when we leave these doors, we would feel encouraged and lifted to live a full-on Christian lifestyle. That's the desire that we have. And so we give this time to you and we ask that you would use it to strengthen us so that we can glorify you. In Jesus' mighty name, God's people said, amen. Amen. For a good portion of my life, I actually, or my Christian life, I should say, I actually only believed that God spoke to us, communicated to us, because he wanted to give us marching orders, and then our response, of course, therefore, was simply just to obey God. This is what I thought. In fact, I I have right now about 35, 40 books on hearing God's voice on my shelf right now. This is my favorite. Okay, I just want you to know that. <laughs> but we get it all from the Bible anyway. So that's obviously not, our, not just our favorite book, but it's more than a book. But I have about 35, 40 books on the issue of hearing God's voice. And a lot of them have this sentiment and they say something like this. God does not speak merely to be heard. He speaks to be obeyed. And everybody seems to say amen to that, but we don't realize that what we're saying is, is that the only reason that God speaks to us is because he wants us to know what to do so that we can obey him. And what I want to do with this message by talking about why God communicates with us is I want to broaden why it is that God speaks. What what is it all about? Is it just to give us marching orders from heaven? You'll remember that we've talked a little bit about John chapter 10 verse 27, where Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. Now I could kind of sum it up in in terms of why God speaks to us in those three arenas, those three areas. We hear some things we just need to hear. We know God. We hear him so that we can know him better, but that we also follow what it is that he's saying. So there is an element of obeying what God gives us as directives and instructions, but there's just a lot more to it than that. You know, as a good father, I hope I'm a good father and my, my wife is a good mother. There are things that we say to our kids that they don't have to respond to. We just want them to hear. There are things that I say to them like, hey, I, I love you. I don't need them to obey anything. I just want them to know that I love them. In fact, I had a massive mindset shift, and this was years and years ago when I went to a church service where my brother was dedicating his children to the Lord. And during that service, just like what we did just a few minutes ago up here, my brother and his wife brought their children up onto the stage and the pastor did exactly what I did. They set apart 
their children to the Lord. And they went and sat down next to us and the service went on. The pastor started preaching his sermon. And in the middle of the pastor's sermon, he looked at my brother and his wife and he said, I just believe that the Lord wants to say, thank you. Thank you for dedicating your children to the Lord. You didn't have to do that and you did. And the Lord wants to say, thank you. And I can remember this religious thing went off inside of me like, thank you? God says, thank you? And I'm driving home and I'm like, the Lord says, thank you, says the Lord. It was something inside of me that could not hear God the Father saying to us, thank you. In my mind, I'm thinking, God doesn't say thank you to anybody. We need to say thank you to him. Come on, you know. I started just going off in my mind But there was a shift that was happening that God is a good father. And if that's the case, there are things that he says to us. Because by the way, he is very secure in who he is. If the Lord were to say thank you and to praise a good choice of one of his sons or daughters, he's not forgetting that he's God or somehow giving a little bit of that of credence to us. He's just simply entering to relationship with us. And this is so vital for us to understand. I had a mindset shift in the middle of that experience. And I realized there was a time in my life where I was was not able to hear God say some things to me because of my theological box, which lacked deep relationship, which lacked a thorough understanding of why Jesus would go to the extent that he did to bring me back into relationship. That certainly tells me that God loves me far more than I could ever understand. That he would spare no expense by giving his one and only son that you and I could become daughters and sons of God again. He wants this deep relationship and he's proved it through Jesus Christ. Now my ears are more open. My ears are more available to hear the things that God is actually saying to me in relationship. Now I'm not dismissing that he's God and that he wants to certainly tell us things that we are to do, but I have found that there's more than one reason why God will communicate to us. And what I want to do today is I want to share with you four reasons. There might be more, but I just want to share with you those to broaden our understanding and hopefully open our ears for what God is already saying to us in our life. And the first reason that I believe God speaks to us is to make himself known. Now, this might be the first and the most important reason, actually. God is omniscient. This is a theological term to basically say that God has past, present, and future perfect knowledge about everything and everyone. He is God and he is God alone. And he has this quality, this attribute that, is, that he does not share with any of us. It's called an incommunicable attribute. He does not share it with anybody. You and I do not know what God knows. A prophecy is that occasional moment where God will drop something into our heart about another person or situation that he gives us a glimpse into. And you know why he can do that? Because he's omniscient. He knows the past, the present, and the future about everything. I mean, we're talking universes, galaxies, like he was there for all of it, created all of it. He has this knowledge. So think about how he knows each one of us in a detailed way. So for him, it's no big deal to to not only know these, but share some of this with us at times. He knows our biography, but that does not mean that because he knows everything about us, he has the relationship with us. What God longs for, what he created us for, was relational exchange. And this is what really it's all about. 
And we can look at a story in the book of Exodus, God called Moses. You might obviously remember this story. It's a well-known story um, from kids all the way to adults. But God calls Moses to bring the people of Israel out of slavery to and in Egypt. And they've been there, we believe, scholars say, somewhere around 400 years, the Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. And the story is actually mapped out in the book of Genesis. You come to the book of Exodus, and this is where God in Exodus chapter 3 calls Moses to be the deliverer because he's heard the cries of his people. And so he sends Moses in. Moses brings them out with God's mighty hand. And now they're delivered and they're moving into the wilderness. I'm obviously uh, skating over a lot of stories. But if you think about it, from Egypt to Kadesh Barnea, which is on the, the, the cusp of where the promised land is, or right before they go into the promised land, it takes about 25 to 37 days for someone to walk that distance. But for whatever reason, God actually makes it 40 years. Because there's a lot of things that God wants to do during that physical journey. He used the wilderness to separate his people from the influence of Egypt and their polytheistic culture. Egyptians, they worshipped many gods. In fact, the Israelites at this time have, have probably been conformed a little bit by their thinking as they were in Egypt. I, I'm, I'm certain that their thoughts, their thinking about their God, Yahweh, was not accurate or in keeping with what their ancestors knew. And this is why they knew the God of their ancestors. He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But was he the God to them? Did, did they know God? Part of what the wilderness was all about was to separate them from the slave mentality, from their exposure to a polytheistic culture that they've been under and enslaved to for many, many, many years so that they would come to know the God of their ancestors for themselves. And this is something that we see and we read about throughout the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 32, we read, where Moses is on Mount Sinai with the Lord and the people are down, down below and they're urging Aaron, which is Moses' brother, they're urging him to take all the gold that they took with them out of Egypt and to fashion a golden calf. Sounds like a great idea. And here's what happens. They say, we want you to make a golden calf because Moses is taking too long and they want to worship something. And so they actually have Aaron fashion this golden calf and they begin to worship the golden calf. And God speaks to Moses on the mountain. Do you hear that? Because they're having, let's just keep it right here. They're having a pretty big party. And we'll keep it PG because it's a lot worse than that. Moses comes down from the mountain and judgment is enacted. And you'll read that in Exodus chapter 32. In Exodus chapter 33, God tells Moses to resume the journey into the promised land and continue leading the people. He even says, I'm going to send an angel ahead of you, and this angel will clear out all of your enemies so that you guys can go right into the promised land. And then God says to Moses, but I will not go with you. So you guys can have the promised land, all the things that I've promised you for years and years, even to your ancestors. Go ahead, go into the promised land. It's all yours. I will send my angel to clear out the way, but I'm not going with you. My presence will not abide with you. We read this and Moses is deeply grieved by this statement and begins to intercede. And I want to read to you what he says in Exodus 33 verse 12. This is what happens. Then Moses said to the Lord, see you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not, not let me know whom you will send with me. 
Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I might know you. I want you to think about what Moses' heart was really wanting. I want to know you. So that I might find favor in your sight, consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. He's recalling what God had previously said. And then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. That's not what we want. We want you to come with us. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight and I your people? I and your people, is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. It seems like God changes his mind. He, he starts to interact with Moses. Okay, Moses, I'm going to go with you. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. And Moses said, I pray, show me your glory. More than anything else, more than the promised land, more than all that that is, the land flowing with milk and honey, maybe the modern equivalent or the message Bible says flowing with Starbucks and Chick-fil-A. I, I don't know what your <laughs> milk and honey just doesn't sound like any, <laughs> I'm not interested, but milk and honey. More than all of that, what I really want, God, is I want your presence. I want you to be with us. I want to know you. Show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Before. I will speak my name to you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Moses does not just want the blessing of God. He wants God himself. I want to know you, your ways, your glory. Reveal yourself to me. And that's exactly what God does And I believe God was pleased with what Moses said. God brought him into this experience. And some people say, well, God changed his mind. Did he? Or did he bring a man into an experience where he could draw out of his heart the real thing that life is all about? And that is about knowing and being with our God. The living God, the true God, the only one that life is worth living for. It's about God. It's not about the house it's not about the money. It's not about the place. It's not about the blessing. It's about being with him. And so what we want when we're thinking about hearing from God is we want him to reveal himself to us. And when you read the story of Exodus and you continue to read throughout scripture, you'll see again and again and again where they come to this moment, this experience where they don't have something. And God's intention is to show his people that I am everything that you need. It's not just that we want God in our life, it's that we want God as our life. And that's what God is trying to establish with his people because they have certainly lost sight of it. Exodus 15, 26, God reveals to Israel, Israel, I am the Lord, your healer, because they need healing. Judges 6, 22, God reveals to Gideon, I am the Lord, your peace. Jeremiah 23, 5, God reveals through Jeremiah, I am the Lord, your righteousness. I am everything you need. Psalm 23, 1, God reveals through David, the Lord is my shepherd. He's the one guiding us, protecting us, helping us to move forward. Hundreds of other places, God reveals that he is the Lord of hosts. Yahweh Sabaoth, which means he's the God of the armies. 
We have a defender. We have a vindicator. We have one that fights for us. We do not need to defend ourselves. God is revealed as the one who will fight for us again and again and again. And then you come to the gospels and you know what you see? Jesus absolutely equating himself with God the Father, 100%, when he says, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is making divine, exclusive claims to his authority, equating himself, not just to be an anointed man that God gave an assignment to, but he is God the Son. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus is equating himself with God the Father 100%. They knew it in that culture, and we know it today. What is happening? God is revealing himself to his people. He is showing us who he is. He showed them, and he is showing us. You know, when I read this, there's this revelation. There's this reality that what if when we're asking for God to show us what to do, what if what we really need is for him to show us and speak to us about who he is because everything will flow out of that very truth and the depth of knowing our God. You know, in John chapter five, it says this. It says that Jesus always did what he saw the Father Now, sometimes charismatics and Pentecostals, of which I am one, sometimes we have this mindset where Jesus was in this perpetual vision. Like he would stop and have a vision. Thank you, Father. Show me a vision of what you would do in this moment. Okay, awesome. And then he goes and does what he saw. I I I don't know if that's what I think was really happening there. I think that Jesus was in such communion with the Father That every situation that he walked into, he just knew, I could see the Father doing that. And so he stepped into it with the same character, with the same nature, with the same authority, because he was abiding with his heavenly Father. What if you and I would always know what to do because we are abiding in relationship with our heavenly Father in every circumstance of life that we enter into, we would... We wouldn't just say, God, what do you want me to do? We would look at the situation and say, I can see the Father doing that. And we step right in, engaged in that situation, responding the way that what? Jesus did. Because Jesus said to his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen So we have a great example on how to live life, which is why we want to know the word of God, which is why we want to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, which is why Jesus is our greatest example, because when we're asking for God, what should we do in this circumstance? I wonder if we were asking for God to speak to us more about who he is and what he's like and having a revelation of his character and his nature, we would struggle less with what to do because we know what he would do in any given situation. God, would you speak to me? I wonder if sometimes we are asking God what to do because we are trying to excuse what we know we ought to do. Come on, somebody. We know Jesus would sacrifice himself and his, his, in that moment, he would give himself to that situation. We know that Jesus would forgive and he would go the extra mile. We know that Jesus would pray and lay his life down. But maybe we're asking God to speak to us about what to do because that might just be a little too hard. I mean, if this goes in like a knife, I'm not sorry. Because all we really want is what's true. What if hearing from God 
is not just about getting marching orders, but it's about having more revelation on who we're following and what he's like and what he would be doing in the situations of life. That's what we see in scripture. He'd bring them into these situations where they didn't have any food. And the revelation was, I want you to know that I'm your provider. Because you don't need food, you need me. And so you're not just asking for food, you're asking for God. Because God's the one that's our, our supplier in all situations and circumstances. And this is why we can trust him throughout every, every place in life that we come to. God speaks to us in order to reveal who he is and what he's like to deepen our relationship with him. Secondarily, God speaks to us to reveal our purpose in his plan. The apostle Paul wrote this to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. So no one can boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Did you, did you, do you read that? Like God knows right the beginning and the end and the end from the beginning and he knows the good works that he has prepared for us to walk in. Good works don't save us, but good works certainly come from the saved. And so as we live life knowing what, that God has called us and even prepared beforehand things that we would walk in, we can ask him, Lord, are there things that you want me to put my hand to? Are there things that you want me to step into? Am I missing something? Have you given me a gift that I've not employed? Have you given me a skill that I'm not using for your glory? Is there something in my life that is lying, lying dormant, but I could be giving somehow to your holy purposes? Lord, show me what that might be. God is the best craftsman, and his work, which is you and I, happen to be of the highest quality. God wants to use us in a mighty way. And he's fashioned us and even prepared beforehand many things that we might walk in. We don't want to miss any of that. That's not the only reason that God will speak to us, but I certainly want all of us to ask him. And can I just give you like a tip, like a pro tip? <laughs> this is a pro tip. We're looking for God to give us the whole map. He's only going to give us the next street. If you get more than that, bonus, but not normal. A lot of times what happens for me is God will give me the next step. And when I step into it, I didn't realize something as small as him telling me to open a door actually was the threshold into all of the other stuff that he wanted me to see, know, and do. But sometimes he says, I want you to open the door. And we want to know what's in the door or in the doorway. God, what's in there? What's, what's, what's my next 10 years supposed to be like? And he's like, ha, 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 silly person. You cannot know this. I want to be on the next drama team. <laughs> no, God doesn't do that. That's me. I'm sorry. Ha, 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 silly person. Random citizen. No, it's not okay. It's not. That's me being goofy, all right? So, and you can practice forgiveness. In 2003, I was called out by a guy at a conference in a place that I'd never been around people that I never knew, never saw any of them again. I was just standing in a coffee line, and this guy comes behind me, dressed real nice. He had that dapper look to him, and I thought, hey, how you doing, sir? Hey, I was just waiting for coffee. He pulls me out of the coffee line, and he downloads like this five, eight-minute long prophecy, 2003. 
In those days, I was much younger, and I just thought all he really was telling me was that I was awesome and I was going to be awesome. That's really all I heard, you know? It's like, that's what most people want when they want a prophecy. It's like, tell me I'm awesome, tell me I'm really awesome. We don't want a correction word. We just want an awesome word. That's what we want. You know, you know I'm telling the truth. And so he said all these things, and I'll leave it all out, but one of the things he told me is that you're going to write books. And, and at the time, I didn't even like writing in my journal. And I didn't really think about all of the hard work. I didn't think about how many nights I would be, everybody else would be able to do something, but I had to like sacrifice my time. I'm talking hundreds of hours. Like we hear the word like, oh, I'm going to write books and, and, and it's going to be so great. And we think of terms of prominence and significance, but we're not thinking in terms of hard work and obedience. And why, why would I even do that? I thought there's people that love to write and I don't. And so I wrote my first book and I got it out and it's been into, it's going into the fourth language. We have a fifth language on the way, 35,000 more copies. It's crazy, right? I have walked up to people and they said, I gave my life to Jesus after reading your book. And I'm, in my mind, I'm like, why? You know, I know it's wrong. I know it's wrong, but it's just like where I'm at. I'm like, it's not that good. It's not that good. You might say to, I mean, thank you. Some of you come up, Pastor Ben, your book is, is great. Th thanks. I'm just, I'm just saying, it's not about our prominence, our significance. It is about obedience. In these moments, there are times where God will reveal our purpose in his plan. And his plan is, to pre is for us to preach the gospel to all creation, to make disciples of all people, of all nations, so that when he comes, that he, he has as many sons and daughters as possible. We get to be a part of God's plan. And that's exciting. He reveals pieces of that. He goes, I want you to open the door. We may not realize what's inside there, but we just have to go ahead and do the very small, maybe seemingly insignificant thing and watch what God will do with our lives. You say, don't look for significance or prominence. Just look for obedience in those situations, no matter how small that it really is. The third reason that I believe God speaks to us, and I'm saying it this way, he brings us back to the narrow path. And we're talking about correction. And unfortunately, correction has become a bad thing, maybe family of origin, maybe it could be that we've been in a workplace, on a team, or even in a church where correction has been harsh, critical, demeaning. This is not correction from God's perspective. One that loves us corrects us to bring us back to the narrow path because it's what's best for us. So, this is something that we need to understand better and better, but God's correction in parts the right direction. I work hard for that. I just, I don't know. The word correct means to set right again, make paths straight, to rebuke, point out error. And sometimes this correction can save us years of pain and difficulty and foolishness and unnecessary choices that lead us down the wrong path. Who wants to go three years down the wrong path only to realize that they need to turn around and go back to where they started? Nobody. And so we don't want to have our defense mechanisms up. We want to say, God, whatever you need to do, whatever you need to say, if there's a correction, I need to hear it. I want to hear it because it'll save us years. It might save us an incredible amount of pain. And so, Lord, keep us from our foolishness. Although we are born again, we're made new by God's spirit. Our minds are not fully renewed. 
Just because our nature is new, we have a born again new nature inside of us does not mean that we live by that new nature all the time. Our mind is being renewed according to Romans chapter 12, verse one and two. This means that not all of our choices are from God and we need him to impart correction at different places. In fact, I would tell you we need to invite it. God's correction is not punishment. He is not trying to punish us, demean us, put us down, patronize us. He is trying to lift us up, direct us, guide us, help us to continue down the straight and narrow path, put guardrails in our life. And sometimes we feel that. Sometimes we hit the guardrail. But that's God's grace in our life. King Solomon wrote many Proverbs as a father to his sons. I just want to read a few of them. Proverbs 10.17 says, He who heeds discipline, or the discipline could mean correction, shows the way of life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Nobody wants to lead others astray, but we will if we don't heed correction because we don't know everything. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is... You just said that. I didn't say it. You just said that. Proverbs 13, 18, he who ignores correction or discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. Why? Because God gives grace to the humble. When we humble ourselves and we give our hearts and we give ourselves to him, what he does is he brings us into where we are designed to be. And we've got to deny the pride that we have of wanting to be right and wanting to know everything. I'm like you, flesh and blood. I want to be right all the time. Don't act like you don't. (laughs) We want to be right. We want to know everything. But the fact is, we are not always right and we just don't know everything. And the quicker we come to that conclusion, the better off we actually are. And we can invite God to correct us, knowing that it won't hurt us, but it will help us. Proverbs 15.5 says, a fool spurns his father's correction. All the fathers are hitting their sons and daughters right now. But whoever heeds correction shows prudence. Proverbs 15.12, a mocker resents correction. He will not consult the wise. But that will lead to our destruction. I have lots of stories where the Lord has broken into my world. One time I was dealing with one of my unnamed children. One of my unnamed sons, one of my older sons, you know. It's a 50-50 shot which one that is. They don't attend this church. I can say what I want. I have two older boys, and uh, I was dealing with one of my older sons, and uh, they had done something, and we'll just leave that out of the story for the moment. But it was ridiculous. Unnecessary, not wise, terrible. Horrible, in fact, what they had done. And I was angry, and the decibel levels were starting to rise. Yes, I was starting to yell, ladies and gentlemen. That's exactly what I was doing. And you know, you, maybe you're like me once in a while. You're like, I'm not yelling. I am not yelling. I don't care. Get, get that mirror away from me. Get the mirror away from me. Stop recording me right now. I'm not yelling. I am not yelling. But I was yelling that day. That day I was yelling. And it was wrong. I confess. I'm confessing. This was years ago. I've never done it since. It's never happened since. It's never happened since with that child. Never. Other children, yes. And I was just getting ready to like enact this form of discipline and and I'm just revved up. I'm upset. I'm angry and I'm struggling. 
I'm struggling because it hurt me as a father. Not just it hurt me that they were doing this, but it hurt like what they did actually was very, very offensive. And it's funny how when you're raising kids, you realize how much of a kid you still have inside of you. And now you're the one throwing the tantrum. Oh my gosh. It's like, who's the parent in this situation? Sorry for that one. And the Lord speaks to me in the middle of me about, I'm about to just give like, you're grounded for five years kind of a thing, <laughs> right? Um, I was about to take their mattress out of their room and, you know, most people don't have a mattress. <laughs> it's like, and the Lord speaks to me and, and he says to me, is that how I am with you? I just hear his voice in my heart. Is that how, I'm getting ready to, you know, give them the five-year thing, is that how I am with you? It was just gentle. And it's, it just arrested my heart. And I'll tell you, my heart just melted right there because I want God to speak to me. Sometimes I live first and get corrected and have to come back. In that moment, I'm so grateful for the correction of the Lord. He just said, is that how I am with you? And you know what? He's never been that way with me. He's always loved me even in the midst of my garbage, in the midst of my difficulty He's never been harsh with me. In fact, when I met Jesus, I encountered a heavenly father that loved me more than anybody's ever loved me in my life. You wanna know why I'm a Christian? Because I found that what I'm preaching is true. I didn't have some religious person convince me. Nobody strong-armed me. Nobody made me believe this. Nobody brainwashed me. I encountered a living God who showed me that this is true. The first thing that God ever said to me that I heard him say, you may have heard me say this, is he said, I love you and I always have. And it was like the first time in my life, even if other people loved me, I was marked with love. I was marked by it. You couldn't steal it. I don't, atheist, agnostic, it doesn't matter who talks to me, you can't take it away from me. I've been marked by it. He corrected me because he wants me to be like him with my kids and with everyone. Aren't you grateful that God just doesn't leave us to figure it out? Invite his correcting voice into your life and don't fear punishment. He does not punish us. He does not correct us the way men and women do. He just doesn't. He corrects us because he, he always knows what's best for us and he always knows what to do. And I love that about the Lord. Invite his correcting voice into your life knowing it's always what's best for you, to prune, to help. The fourth reason, God speaks to us for others. This is what we call prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14, 3, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. I love that God gives us prophetic words for one another. I love it. I have seen prophetic words change people's lives, open their hearts, open their minds, bring the reality of God, bring deliverance and healing and restoration. I love the gifts of the Holy Spirit and I love the prophetic gift. I have seen, I do not want prophetic words that are like sugar pills. You know, we just forget what they were. I'm asking God for weighty words that lead us back to the word of God, that lead us back to our heavenly father, that lead us back to a passion for Jesus Christ that lead us back to God is reality even though there's all of this distraction around us. The Bible says that he knows the hairs on our head and I have a, quite a bit less than I used to. So it's not really about hair. It's just the fact that he knows everything. He knows our name. Jesus says he calls his sheep by name. 
Have you ever had Jesus call your name? You ever heard the Holy Spirit speak a word to you where right then, right there, he called your name? He read your mail. That's another thing we say. He read your mail. Something was spoken and you knew it had to come from a heavenly source. It was your heavenly father. I love the prophetic for that reason. And we thank God for it. I, um, I just want to broaden our understanding of why God communicates. I've just given you four reasons why he communicates. I just want to bring us out of it's an only, obedience is the only response to his voice. And marching orders is the only reason that he talks to us. He, he talks to us for a lot of reasons. I want to broaden that today. I remember this was about 2001 or 2002. I don't, yeah, 2001. I was sitting uh, right back here in this section at another church, the church that I had actually come from. And I was there for just a few months or whatever it was at the time. I don't remember the dates, but I was sitting out there and I was just attending on a Saturday night. And I heard a voice in my heart. I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, I want you to help someone plant a church in Kirkland. Now I grew up in Kirkland. I was like, I don't want to go to Kirkland. (laughs) And I had no context for that. I had no reason to hear that. I had no person that was doing that. I didn't know anybody planting a church. And so I shelved that word that I heard in my heart. And then it was just maybe a few months later, because I was only at that church for just a handful of months. On a Saturday night service, the pastor introduces this guy who I'd never seen before. I'd only ever seen the pastor of that church. He introduces this guy, his name was Mark Cundy. He comes up to the stage, he preaches a message. But before he does, he says that we and a team of people are launching a church in downtown Kirkland starting next week. And so we prayed him out and I'm sitting there and I'm just debating in my mind like, this is the thing, right? God, this is the thing, right? Or what are the chances? So I walk up to Mark Cundy at the end of the service and I say, you don't know me and I don't know you, but God spoke to me and he said that I'm supposed to go with someone to plant a church in Kirkland and you're it, man. I, I, I don't know anybody else or anything else. And he said, he just looks at me, he goes, okay, I'll see you next Sunday at 6 (laughs) a.m. I'm like, 6 a.m., you sure about that? I don't know if that was the Lord. (laughs) And from the time they opened, from the time they closed their doors, I was at that church for almost three years. And I thought in my mind that God told me to go because we were going to bring revival to Kirkland and I was going to have great impact and he was going to use me in some way to bring about some solution or something like that was going to happen as a result of my obedience because as a 21-year-old, I give my time, I give my energy. Every week I'm doing the intercession meetings. We're walking around the city praying for revival. I'm leading the alpha group. I become the youth pastor. I'm giving all of my time away. I'm giving all that I know away way for this church and I'm believing for God to do great things and I can't even lead someone to Christ. I can't even show you any, hardly any fruit as a result of that. I can't remember a lot of people that I discipled. The youth group never really grew. I had a bunch of church kids that, you know, were staring at me that just didn't like my teaching. I didn't like it either. I was growing in the ministry. I did not know what I was doing. I was frustrated. I didn't enjoy many of the things. And I I wanted to see God move. And I thought obedience means impact, Lord. And and I swear I heard you. And and, and there's no way this is a coincidence. And here I am. I'm doing this. And and then we, one week, two and a half years into this decision, giving all this time, money, effort, everything, we sat down with the elders and the staff. And there's only maybe 50 people in the church at this point. It basically was shrinking from the time it was growing. 
And they all decided, we all decided that God was moving us on. And within two weeks of that decision on that day, our church doors were closed and we all dispersed back into other congregations like it had never happened. At that time, I was engaged to my wife and I remember like, well, where do we go to church now? What do we do now? I thought this is what we were going to do. I thought this was every, you know, I built all these relationships. I went to almost every business in downtown Kirkland, letting them know we were praying for them. I mean, I'm talking, I did a lot. We did a lot of stuff. And now it's all gone. It's all over. And now we're back and sitting out here in a church with people we don't know, having no idea what to do next. And I remember for a while, I'm now I'm licensed in the Foursquare Church. I'm moving towards my ordination, but I don't have any appointment. So I'm pastor to nobody, except for my wife and her two kids. And I realized over a period of a few years that God did not want me to go to help plant that church because he wanted to bring impact and revival through my life. First, he wanted me to obey him. Second, he wanted me to meet my wife. Third, he wanted me to become a father to two boys that were praying for a dad every day of their life. Fourth, he wanted me to learn how to be a man and how to be a pastor. And fifth, he wanted me to develop relationships and community and value that, knowing that not everything works out. I got to walk four or five people through divorce and not one into marriage. He wanted me to help walk people through pain and shame and difficulty and still say that God is good. What I'm saying to you is that sometimes God will ask us to do something and it isn't about impact. It isn't about what we see on the other end of it. Sometimes God is teaching us things and if he told us up front what it was about, we wouldn't be able to understand it and we might not even obey what he's telling us to do. If you are living in a moment of disillusionment and maybe you responded to God and you don't know why and you can't see the fruit of it and you're not sure what it was all about, maybe it is that God has been doing something in you this entire time and you didn't know it. Because we don't always know what we need and our heavenly father does. Maybe he was revealing that he was good and he was faithful and that he could speak a word and we could obey him. Maybe that was preparing us for the next step, which was really significant and really hard and really difficult and is going to pull every sense of obedience and loyalty out of us to give it over to him. Maybe all that he was doing was preparing us in relationship to show us some things that we might not need for five years. What I can tell you is, is I felt like a failure because in the world's eyes, we opened a church and we closed it and it's another statistic on the report. But what I know is that God did something in me. He did something in my wife and he did something in the lives of 50 people and I don't want to miss it. And I don't want you or I or us to miss the very reason why God is calling us into situations and circumstances for his purposes. What I can tell you is trust the Lord no matter what. Maybe you're here in this church and you feel disillusioned. You feel like, I don't know what to do next. Maybe you got sideswiped years ago, months ago. You felt like you heard God. You felt like you were doing what you were supposed to do. And now you don't know. You, you feel a little confused. What's the next step for me? Where do we go from here? What is it about now? Here's what I know. God is still speaking to you. God's purpose is not finished in our lives. God has a next step for us. He may not tell us the next five years, but he wants to get our mindset off of what was and he wants to show us what is. What he does want to do is he wants to give us the perspective of now. Lord, what is my next step? What about now? 
I don't understand that and I trust that you'll help me to understand it if you want me to know and when you want me to know. But what about now? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Somebody needed to hear that today. God will bring you up out of your disillusionment and he'll bring you into your purpose. And he'll do that right here and he'll do that right now. We just give it to him. Lord, my needing to know the past is not as important as my wanting to know the future and to bring the name of Jesus glory. If we can confess that this morning, God will start to show us very clearly our next step. Because our next step probably, it can't be tainted by our questioning per se of the past, but it can be built on the past. We can rejoice in that we were obedient and that we sought to do what we thought we were supposed to do. You can smile to that because the father does. Remember when I told you I went to my brother's church and the pastor said, thank you. I had a woman walk up to me last night and during worship before I had preached, she wrote this, that the, the father spoke to her. And this is what God spoke to her during worship before I preached. I sit in your presence tonight and the father says, thank you. I adore your worship, and the Father says, thank you. I adore your heart, thank you. I adore your heart, your Father God. She wrote that in worship, and she walked up to me after the service, and she said, thank you for sharing that story, because I had no idea why God would say thank you. Coincidence? You want to believe it's a coincidence? God's speaking to us. Do we have ears to hear? Let's ask for that. Amen? Amen. Will you stand to your feet? Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you that your spirit is speaking to our hearts. And I pray for freedom over all of us today. Freedom to, to be right where we need to be, hearing your voice and moving forward. I just pray if we're stuck, Lord, let us be unstuck. If we're struggling, Lord, I pray new freedom. If we're suffering, Lord, I pray that we would see light at the end of the tunnel because that is not all that there is going on right now. Give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear. Even where we have questions, even when we're uncertain, we know that there is more than that feeling that's going on inside of us. Show us the next step. Lead us into a place where we could know you better, we could hear our purpose in your plan, Correct us if you need to. And Lord, speak to us for other people in our life. Use us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. And while you're there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.